Let's pray and we can get into it. Lord God, I want to thank you for this church, for the people of this church, for every member here, Lord, who just comes and, and becomes helps to make this the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, we want to celebrate uh, just each of those those members of this church this morning and, and all of our attenders and, and everyone and also our new visitors. And uh, Lord, I just pray for this church that we would see it grow both in size but also in faith and uh, character and love all the way into the maturity of Christ himself. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be one united body, working together, serving together, living together, loving together, growing together. And Lord, that you would help us to be a church that is continually reminding ourselves and reminding each other of your glory and of your love for us and of how great you are and how great the work is that you are doing in each of us. Lord, help us to see those things this morning, and it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, I got the wobbly stand, but we'll make it work. Um, If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 if you're not there already. And we are going to be continuing the the second week of our new series called Humble Authority, in which we're finishing out the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, And at this point in the book, Paul is defending his authority to the Corinthians as they are giving various accusations and challenges against his authority in their church. And what happened is Paul came and planted the church in Corinth and then went on to plant more churches after spending time there. And in the time that he was away, other false teachers came in and started to teach things that were contrary to the gospel, contrary to the Bible, and to basically compete with each other for the support of the Corinthians and to compete with Paul. So now the Corinthians are looking at all these other teachers and they seem so impressive outwardly and they're saying, why should we listen to Paul? And so Paul's been writing them letters saying, hey, you guys need to shape up in these different areas. You need to get rid of sin in your lives in these different areas. And they're saying, why should we listen to you? Uh, What's so special about you? And that's kind of where we're at. And the message, the theme of the message this morning is the blessing of godly authority. And I just want to acknowledge how that sounds great, a preacher talking to us about authority. That's wonderful. Uh, We're Americans. We don't really like authority. I think we can all agree with that, generally speaking. Uh, The good news is I, too, don't like authority. So I'm right there with you in it, you know. And so uh, when I was coming coming out of high school, coming to college, thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, I, I thought, you know, no matter what I do, I just want to be my own boss. Like, I just want entrepreneurship, whatever it is. I, want to, I don't have to report to anyone or work for anyone uh, because I don't like authority. We as Americans don't like authority. And so this morning, what I'm going to do, though, is undertake to show us the blessing of godly authority in this text. And it's all going to be in the context of Paul defending his authority to the Corinthian church as they compare him with other preachers saying, why should we listen to you? And so I want to start with this. Imagine, if you could, a young couple who are expecting their first child. And months go by as, as they're expecting this child to come. And, uh, you know, there are the days where you're really excited. There are the days where you're just terrified. And you have no idea, you know, what you're getting into, how it's going to be. And finally the day comes. And, and they go to the hospital and they give birth to a beautiful baby girl. And she comes into the world for the first time. And she is alive, a new being, a new human and she is there, and she is part of the family, and now, and she's beautiful, and, and she is wonderful, and now this young couple are parents. The, the husband is a father, and the wife is a mother. And, and then they check out of the hospital, and they go, and they are going to go and raise that child and take care of her, that little girl, and to be a grown-up, mature woman. And that is a beautiful picture. Like, parenthood doesn't always go right, but that is a beautiful picture we can all agree. And that is an example 
of good authority. And we also see that at the same time, if that, if that same couple were to take their little baby girl and just leave her in a park and walk away and never come back, that would be terrible because they're a, an example of good authority to her to take care of her and to guide her and to lead her. And so as say what you will about authority, we have to acknowledge that at least in, in parenthood, we see an example of good authority, of, of a role of authority in our lives that is good and healthy because the reality is that children need parents. And so at this point, the parents in the room are nodding their heads. They're agreeing with me. Yes, your children need you. You agree. You're with me, right? You need, they need you to tell them, no, stop. Don't. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't eat glue. Don't pour shampoo on your sister's bed. Stop that. Don't do that. I want what's good for you. I want what's best for you. I don't want you to live in those ways. And the reality is that's what Scripture compares us to, newborn infants, Spiritual newborn infants, Jesus talks about being born again into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as, as newborn infants coming into the life, spiritual life for the first time. And so in the same way, it would be absolutely ridiculous for us to expect to come into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God for the first time as newborn spiritual infants, and then to think, oh, well, we don't need any authority. We just, I'm just going to go off and be on my own. The reality is children need parents, and spiritual children need godly spiritual parents. And that analogy is not one-to-one. You don't need exactly one spiritual mother and spiritual father or however that works. That's No, I'm just talking about the need for godly authority in our lives. And that need becomes much clearer as you move on from the Gospels and what we see in the teachings of Jesus to the book of Acts and the early church and to the epistles, the letters that the apostles were writing to the church. Uh, and you see this need coming up as there are false teachers coming into the churches and there are uh, Christians or, or non-Christians or whoever in the churches who are uh, turning away from Christ and leading other people astray. And they need authorities to help teach and preach and defend the doctrines of the gospel and of the Bible and to help them know the God of the Bible and, and live and grow to be more like him. <clears throat> and so, uh, so they give this, uh, the establishment of elders and the appointment of elders and pastors in churches. In, in the epistles, in the Acts, we kind of see that as normative. And another illustration is shepherds and sheep, how we can be compared to, of all the animals that the Bible would compare us to, it compares us to sheep. Not the most flattering option, I'll admit. But it's because we're needy, we're dependent, and we need help, right? Amen? And so I'm going to be talking about two types of authority this morning. The first is what I already mentioned, which is elders and pastors and kind of the spiritual leaders that God gives us to put over us to help us grow up into maturity in Christ. And secondly, also just that we can be in authority to each other through mutual submission and accountability. And so as I'm talking about the blessing of godly authority this morning, I want us to be kind of thinking about those two ways and think about what that can look like in your life and how you can step more fully into that. And so this morning, my big idea is I want us to see the blessing of godly authority and that godly authority in your life is something not just to be accepted, but earnestly desired. And if you're already on board with that, if you're like, you're, you're preaching to the choir, I'm with you, I agree, elders are good, and I, I want to grow, that's great. I, I just want to encourage you to take this as an opportunity to think about how you can more clearly see the value of the spiritual authority that God has placed in your life, and how you can step more fully into that to grow more, more quickly, more totally, more wholly into Christ. And so with that, we're going to be looking at three characteristics of godly authority that are blessings in our lives. So... With no further ado, point number one, godly authority is for building up and not tearing down. 
And godly authority is for building up and not tearing down. And okay, that sounds super basic, like build each other up. Like that's a, that's a kid show lesson or moral. But the reality is, why don't we like authority? Well, because of how often it's abused, how often it's used to destroy, to tear down. And that's often the fear with authority. And that was certainly the Corinthians' fear of Paul. So let's pick up in verse 7. Paul says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. So essentially, the Corinthians are guilty of being superficial and looking at just the outward qualifications of a lot of these impressive-seeming false teachers that are coming to, to teach things contrary to the gospel and lead people away from Christ. And, and they're looking at Paul and they're saying, why do we need you? And this is the quote that they say. This is, this is their words that they say about Paul. They say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. I don't know how you don't laugh when you read that. Like that is, that is just like the words that no preacher wants to hear. His bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. What do you have left at that point? <laughs> so Paul is saying, like, Paul is saying, look, if you're sure you're a Christian, and I'm going to put that if there for some of you guys. If you're sure you're a Christian, then the same spirit of Christ that's in you is also in us. In other words, you don't like us? Well, buddy, we're related. We're family. We have the same dad in heaven. We're going to be together forever. So we're going to have to work this out now or eventually, but you're going to have to get used to us. And that same spirit that we have is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Jesus. It's a spirit of love. Think about the way that we read about, the way that Jesus was towards people in his ministry. It's that same spirit that he has placed in us as Christians, as followers of him, to help transform us to be more like him. And that's a spirit that wants to build you up. That is a spirit of love that looks at the most broken, needy, hurting people in the world and would say, I just want to bless. I just want to love. I just want to delight in you and help you because I care about you. I'm not looking judgmentally. It says, the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And it's that spirit that longs to build up. And so Paul makes that clear in verse 8. He says, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority... Apparently, that's one of the accusations against him by some of the false teachers. Even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and for not destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. And so this authority is given to Paul and apostles like him by God for the building up of the church. So spiritual authority, godly authority, authority that is given to people from God is for building people up. It's never about you. It's never to tear people down. If there's ever a pastor who is uh, sharing a hard truth with someone, it ought to be for building them up and out of love, never to condemn, never to uh, knock people down. And so this kind of gets, when he says, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, this gets into, well, what sort of letters is Paul sending to Corinthians? And so we've got, well, we've got the letter to the first Corinthians, which if you read that, you can see that's a hard letter in a number of ways. He shares some hard truths, calls them to uh, repentance in a lot of ways. And yet, uh, so a lot of scholars agree there seem to be even harder letters that he sent them that we don't have. Uh, that aren't part of Scripture or the Bible, but that as he is trying to lead and disciple the Christians who are part of this church, that he is sending these other letters, and there are hard letters that are written out of love, but written to say, hey, you need to repent. 
And if you don't, if you don't turn away from these areas of sin that you have, these areas of brokenness that you have, and turn back to Christ, then I'm going to have to come and enforce that godly authority that's been given to me for your own good. And the Corinthians were saying, well, we don't want to change. We have all these other preachers. Why should we listen to you? And the reality is Paul is doing this out of love, out of a desire to build the Corinthians up. And sometimes that desire takes sharing hard truths. And again, parents understand this. Sometimes your child needs to hear something they don't want to hear or do something they don't want to do in order for them to be good and healthy and safe and to continue to grow up in a good way. Uh, we need someone to tell us as, as kids, kids need someone to tell them, don't eat bugs. I know you've been doing it. I know, how do I know? Because you have bug breath. Like that's, it's a dead giveaway. Uh, don't, uh, you need a diaper change. You may not be self-aware enough to notice it, but you're literally walking around with, and so <laughs> it's just out of love. There's no judgment. It's, it's, not, it's not to knock people down, but it's saying, you need this help. You need to grow in this area, and I want to help. Um, and it's the same gentle spirit as Jesus, out of a longing to see them grow and up into mature adults with good breath and unsoiled pants. And so in verse 10, they, he says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So Paul says, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. So the Corinthians were focused on superficial characteristics, but Paul is focused on the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, about us really growing up and maturing to be like Christ. The goal is for you to grow. And in case that sounds condescending, we're all growing into maturity until we're like Christ. So every single person who's still alive is still growing, still needs spiritual godly authority in their life. Uh, it's a lifetime deal. You're not truly mature until you're like Jesus. And I just want to give a, a kind of a brief thought about what that really means to be like Jesus. What are we maturing towards? Uh, it's, it's to grow to be fully alive. Like if you read the Gospel of John, a huge theme throughout the Gospel of John is that Jesus came to bring life to the world, that the world was spiritually dead apart from him, not living in the way that God meant life to be, and that Jesus came to bring life. And we see in the person of Jesus a sort of love, a sort of selflessness, a sort of joy that is unparalleled in all of history of all that we've seen. And so he came to bring life. And, and so whenever someone talks about like life and what life is meant to be and about finding themselves, that's what we have in Jesus. Like sometimes someone might want to go on like a, you know, one of those spiritual find yourself type journeys where they go out into nature. It ends with them on a mountain somewhere. They have some grand moment and they come back with a whole new perspective. And that's, that's the movie version. And that's all well and great. Um, but that's, that's what we have in Christ like when we grow up to be mature in Christ and stand with him in the presence of God for eternity in the new earth, that we won't be left with any feeling of need or lack or want. We won't be feeling incomplete. We won't be feeling like there must be something more to life. That's what it means to be fully alive, to live life as God intended. No one understands life like the, the God who created life. And so if you're going to follow anyone or, or talk to anyone about how you could more fully experience life, look at Jesus, look at his life, look at what he taught. <clears throat> because in that final state, we're going to be in this perfect relationship with God who is the very essence of life itself. And he's given godly authority to help make that happen. 
That's the point of authority in our lives. It's to build us up into that. So the implication is, is if you submit to godly authority placed in your life, and if it's authority that's really, that's really going by the Bible, going out of love to build us up into the image of Christ, the result is you being more like Christ. And that is always a good thing. Amen? We'll, we'll get there. You guys, you, I know you want it. I know you just don't say amen. That's fine. <laughs> uh, it's the spiritual equivalent of don't eat glue, eat your vegetables whatever your spiritual vegetables are, reading your Bible. You got it. All right. And that's a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's hard, but it's always out of love. So godly authority is for building up and not for tearing down. Number two, godly authority is for fostering unity and not division. Paul continues in verse 12. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So the Corinthians are looking at all of these other impressive leaders uh, who are coming in, all these, all these false teachers, but they're, to them they just look like leaders who are coming in to say, oh, you don't need Paul, you got us, we've got all these qualifications, I've got seven PhDs, you know, what does Paul have? Like, you should just listen to me. And, there's, and, and Paul's saying, oh, yeah, wow, I'm sure we don't compare. And they're in a totally different league, you know, way above our level. But I'll tell you this. By sizing each other up, by comparing and competing in the way that they are, they're showing they don't know Jesus at all. Because that's not our God. And that's not the spirit of our God. It's not a God that competes. Um, when, when two of his disciples come to Jesus and say, uh, we want to sit, you know, one of us at your right hand and one of us at your left. Basically, we want to be like your top guys. He's like, look, if you want to be somebody's leader, if you want to be leading somebody, then you need to be their servant. You need to be serving them and loving them. That's what, that's what this is about. It's not about us promoting ourselves in some way, but it's about us being part of one body and serving and loving each other. Uh, he's not about comparison, because comparison in, in that sense is inherently divisive. When we are comparing ourselves to others and saying, how do I measure up against this other Christian or this other person in their spiritual life, you're, you're putting yourself on a spectrum with everybody else to look at who's the best and who's the worst, and that's just not the way that we are taught in the Bible and in Christ. So when we see the strength of others in the church and, and in ministry, we see that as something to celebrate, not something to compare ourselves to two and commend ourselves by or condemn ourselves by. And, and likewise, we see each other's weaknesses as something to bear up and to help in and to, to come alongside and, and, and bless, but not to judge or, or, or to look down on or anything like that. But when leaders make their authority about themselves, it always ends up, divisive in some way. It always ends up not bringing people together into that close-knit unity that we're called to. And that's what the leaders in Corinth were doing when they were competing with Paul, trying to win the Corinthian support, as though they had been the ones who'd reached them from the start. And Paul points that out, that they weren't even the first ones there. He says in verse 13, but we will not boast beyond limits, the idea being that that's what the false teachers are doing. But we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you, For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond the limit. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. Paul's saying they're not going to take work for the credit they didn't do. They're not going to take credit for the work they didn't do. And and they're not going to be, yeah, looking at the competing over Christians with other spiritual leaders and other ministries. And so any kind of leaders that come in and are competing for the support of Christians that are already following God and they're competing with other leaders, he's saying, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely ridiculous because there's always more people who need to hear the gospel. Amen? 
There's always more places in the world that don't have the gospel. And so if you're such a great spiritual leader, why are you here competing over this church that already exists as though there's Christians are some precious commodity in the world and, and they, you can't make more Christians. The reality is that God is in the business of turning people into Christians. Amen. And so if you're a great spiritual leader, go somewhere where that isn't happening and make that hap- help make that happen. Ask that God would move through you, through your ministry to help make that happen. And he's saying, I was the, we were the first ones here, and the Corinthians know that. They say, we, they know that Paul and the people with him were the first ones to come and bring the gospel to them. And so they can clearly see from that that the, what these other leaders and teachers are doing is absolutely nonsensical. Uh, and, and, and so what they're doing, this authority that they, whatever leadership, whatever authority they have, it's not the authority of Christ because the authority of Christ is about unity and working together both within a church and at a, on a global scale with churches worldwide to bring the gospel to the unreached. And so I feel like we've hit unity a lot lately. So I'll just say this. Paul is saying, like I just was saying, Paul is saying our labor as Christians is not to compete over Christians. And so we can think about that in our community that we're, we're called to the area that God has assigned us. And so as we think about helping our church to grow, one of the things to be thinking about is how are we having relationships with people who are lost? How are we having relationships with people who don't know the gospel and, and going out to bring the gospel to people who don't know it, haven't understood it, haven't heard it, and bring them to be part of our church community and our church body? And the more that we do that, I, I think that's always a win when we see our community coming and being part of our church. And in a lot of ways, on certain Sundays, that might be hard. There might be growing pains when there's more people coming and, like, certain balls get dropped or there's not enough, you know, people to volunteer in, like, kids' ministry or things like that, and that can be hard. Uh, but that's still always a win to see the community that we live in coming to hear the gospel, coming to be part of the body of Christ and to engage and interact with the body of Christ. And so I want to say... Where unity is often most difficult is where you bring people together who are not like each other. And that's, that's where you can feel the pain of it. And I believe that's part of why the New Testament talks about unity so much. Because if you look in the New Testament and you see uh, local churches with people who are completely different from each other coming together to be one body of Christ together. Uh, people who are different, they're, they're Jews, Greeks, rich, poor, old, young. They're from different racial or ethnic backgrounds, different political views, different philosophies, different personalities. Uh, and, and so in diverse communities where different people uh, tend to naturally sort themselves into, into groups of people who are just like them, the question then becomes, is unity even possible? Is this sort of unity among people who are not like each other even possible? And that is one of the main contentions of this church Mosaic, our slogan, beautiful together, right? It's, putting, it's us putting this question to the test. Is Jesus Christ great enough to bring together and unite all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds into one church, one community, one family, living and loving each other, living together and to see each other built up into spiritual maturity? Is Jesus great enough for that? For so many churches, the answer to that question is no or at least that it's not worth fighting for. And, and you see churches existing or planting in diverse communities only to target one demographic. And that's great. It's great to be reaching people with the gospel. That's awesome. But one of the things that godly authority and leadership is, is leading us into is diverse unity. And unity together as, as a picture of the body of Christ. And so I believe one of the clearest pictures of the presence of God on earth is the loving unity of diverse people 
in the name of Christ. When people who have nothing else in common, nothing else to share with each other, no other reason to even know each other, are coming together in the name of Christ. That is a picture of the body of Christ. That is a picture of God on earth. That is beautiful. The love of Christ overcoming worldly differences to create strong, close-knit brotherhood and sisterhood. <clears throat> and and it gives, he gives pastors and elders as this godly authority to help foster that unity, to be shepherding others, helping us to love and forgive and understand each other and work together as co-laborers for Christ, not competing over existing Christians, but to bring the gospel to those who don't know it. Amen? So godly authorities for building up and not for tearing down, and godly authorities for fostering unity and not division. And finally, number three, godly authority is for celebrating God's work in others, not boasting about oneself. That's exactly what these false teachers are doing. We're boasting about themselves and not uplifting and celebrating the people of the body of Christ. And so Paul continues, he says, but our hope, our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence, coming back to what those false teachers are doing. And so there's so many people who still need to hear the gospel preached that it doesn't make any sense to boast about the work that someone else is doing, right? And so that, what, what those teachers are doing, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so this kind of comes down to this question of boasting or bragging. And, and that's what these uh, false teachers are doing. We're boasting in themselves, propping themselves up. And Paul's saying that's not the way that we are in Christ. And I just want to come out and admit I'm going to come out to you guys. I am a boaster. I'm a bragger. Many of you just already know this. I'm sure it was painfully obvious, but it just depends on the thing. It's not about everything, but about some things. I, I, I love to brag. I love to talk trash. You know, it's part of how I grew up. It's part of what I grew up around, but I'm not here to make excuses. I'm just saying that's, that's, that's some baggage I bring to the table. What Paul's saying here is that godly authority does not use our authority, use the things that we have to prop ourselves up. Right? And so there's no, one might almost say there's, there's no room for boasting in the church. Whatever you want to brag about, just imagine Jesus sitting in on the conversation, especially if it's about ministry. If it's about pastors. I've been to a few like pastor conferences, and it's fun to hear pastors talk about their churches, and that's great. Every once in a while, I hear a statement or a tone where I'm just like, it seems a little off. Like maybe, I wonder if Jesus was sitting right here, if you'd say it quite the same way that you just said it. Like he'd be like, oh, really? Yeah, no, go on. Tell me more. Like, really, tell me how much you've given for the church, please. No, don't stop. It's like, you know, where they turn around, they're like, oh, Jesus, oh, sorry. Like, that, that's, he's always present. He's always hearing us. And so we should never be bragging or boasting about what we've done as though it's not God who is responsible for all of it and doing the work in all of us. Amen. And so one can almost say there's no room for boasting among the people of God, but that doesn't quite seem to be the case. Because look at what Paul says next in verse 17. He says, let, he quotes, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And so in Paul's view, in Paul's theology, there is room for boasting. And there is room for godly authority to boast. But it is not to build or prop oneself up. It's not to boast about how great oneself is. It's about to boast in God. And specifically, it's about to boast in the work that God is doing in the people around you. And to celebrate that, to celebrate what God is doing in the people around you, to look and see each life redeemed, transformed, and just see that beautiful testimony of what God is doing in Alex, in Brandon, in Adam, in Jordan, and sorry, I called Jordan out a lot now, apparently, and, 
and, uh, and Jacob and, and all these different people, all of these different testimonies, what God is doing in, in each and every one of us, like that's just absolutely beautiful, absolutely amazing. And it's to call that to our attention and help us to keep that perspective as we go through life and life is hard and there's suffering for us to see, look at what God is doing and look at what he has done and is continuing to do as he helps us all to grow more and more to be like Christ. All of these people with all their diverse strengths and personalities are becoming one family, our family. And so we don't need to be ashamed about the gospel or our faith, but rather we can be proud, proud about the beautiful work that God is doing in us and in communities all over the world, changing us to be more loving people, to be more outward-focused people uh, here and all over the world. It's like parenthood, encouraging and celebrating your kids all along the way. And so we can pray for those in positions of spiritual authority that they would take full advantage of that opportunity to celebrate the work that God is doing through them and in the people around them. And God gave pastors and elders to be continually leading us and encouraging us to see the glory of God and to celebrate the beauty of what he is doing in us and helping us to live with that perspective daily so that we are consistently reminding each other, living together and reminding each other of what God is doing in us. Uh, and, and just the, the love that he has for us and, and his great plans for us. And so I just want to say, again, godly authority is for building up and not for tearing down. Godly authority is for fostering unity and not division. Finally, godly authority is for celebrating God's work in others, not boasting in oneself. And so all of this comes back to the blessing of godly authority and how it is something not just to be accepted, but earnestly desired. And so what I want to leave us with this morning is what is the role of authority in your life? And where in your life is there room for you to more fully embrace the blessing of authority? Where is there, where, what parts of your life are, are unchecked, un, unaccountable to anybody? Um, not, not things that you are bringing into the light before others. Because that's what we're called to, and that's a blessing. It's not an obligation it's not something that we just have to like, okay, I guess I have to roll with this. It's a blessing because it helps bring us closer to being like Christ, being the person of Christ. And I want us to fully embrace this blessing, both in the leadership of the church and how we, how we uh, live as part of the church. And if you're a member, there's a membership covenant that has a whole list of things that we see in the New Testament that the Bible calls us to as Christians. And we can help each other and bring, bring accountability into our relationships with each other to help each other and encourage each other to live into those uh, those things, those aspects and facets of our new identity in Christ. And then also, yeah, in, in our mutual accountability with others. And so I think we can have people who are building us up, have people who are fostering unity and community in Christ in your life and in the lives of people around you. And have people who are boasting about you. And I don't mean to say, like, have this, like, oh, I need people who boast. Like, boast about others too. But I'm just saying, let's be a community that boasts about the work of God in others. Amen? And let's grow together into people who are, who are doing that for each other and, and also just inviting people who aren't part of this body to be part of this work that God is doing. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, again, I want to thank you and just celebrate this community this morning and just the work that you've done in us uh, and that you're continuing to do and the work that we see you doing this week and last week and, and the work that you're going to be doing next week and, and just how exciting it is to see uh, just the gospel going forward and transforming lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just embrace the authority that helps us to do this. Help us to think about where in our lives can we just come under more godly authority that's going to help encourage us to do what we don't have the strength or the follow-through to do on our own. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be people who are just looking to be united in one body. 
and growing together in you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.